nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Hello and welcome to Swansea Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight we are talking quiet quitting. Why doing the bare minimum at work has gone global. What quiet quitting looks like for a teacher. Help to avoid burnout and achieving work-life balance through setting boundaries. We are live, so tune in, talk it out, off we go. Live from Swansea, this is is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boridar Pab, Chrysoi Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio uh, with me, Nathan Ginn. And tonight we are talking about quiet quitting. So, why doing the bare minimum at work has gone global and it is all over TikTok. Uh, what quiet quitting looks like for a teacher with some specific examples from people, teachers who've tried it and help to avoid burnout and achieving work-life balance through setting boundaries. And we'll be giving some of those top tips, bits of advice at the end. Now, in this show, I am pulling together research from many different articles and people. So you'll hear me giving shout outs to where it's from, where you can read more, and, and little bits of advice. I've tried to pull across the spectrum. And if you're listening at the start now, we are going to, first of all, look at what that phrase means, look at where it came from, a bit of discussion about why why some people believe it's a thing now particularly in 2022 and then we're going to look at some examples of people who've tried it from across the spectrum of of different jobs we'll look at what it meant for some teachers who've tried it and then uh, a little bit later on we'll look at whether you as a teacher can achieve it and some top tips for what that might look like for you as a teacher who's trying it so as I say, we're going to uh, look at the origins first. So to start with, um, we're going to an article. It's in The Observer. It was by James Tapper. It was 6th of August, 2022. It was titled, Quiet Quitting, Why Doing the Bare Minimum at Work Has Gone Global. You've probably heard this word, as I say, all over TikTok, all over social media, lots of news articles picking it up. He starts with, rather than working late on a Friday evening, organising annual team building trip to Slough or volunteering to supervise the boss's teenager on a work experience, the quiet quitters are avoiding the above and beyond and the hustle culture mentality or what psychologists call occupational citizenship behaviours. And instead, they're doing just enough in the office to keep up then leaving work on time and muting Slack. Uh, then posting about it on social media, of course. Why wouldn't we? It's the world we live in. So for context, one of the things that they talked about there was uh, occupational citizenship 
behaviours. Now, some examples of these are um, cooperating with others, volunteering for additional tasks, um, orienting new, new employees, offering to volunteer others, uh, helping them achieve uh, their and accomplish their work, uh, doing more than the job requires. And that's an example from uh, Borman, nineteen ninety three. If you want to look up, is you know this term occupational citizenship behaviours. But back to the article. Um, Maria Kordovich, uh, an associate professor in organisational behaviour at the University of Nottingham and a director of its Centre of Interprofessional Education and Learning, said the rise in quiet quitting is linked to a noticeable fall in job satisfaction. Um, Gallup did a global workplace report in 2022 that said only 9% of workers in the UK were engaged or enthusiastic about their work, uh, ranking 33rd out of 38 European countries. So, you know, a, a specific UK context there, but we'll see when we hear some of the examples uh, about what this means in China, as an example, and also what it means in America as well. So we've got those different contexts there. Um, NHS staff survey conducted in 2021 showed that morale had fallen from a 6.1 out of 10 to a 5.8. And staff engagement had dropped from a 7 down to a 6.8. So we've seen that little shift, that little fall uh, in job satisfaction. She goes on to say that since the pandemic, people's relationship with their work has been studied in many ways. And the literature typically across professions would argue that, yes, people's way of relating to their work has changed. So we are framing it here, or certainly the newspaper articles are framing this as a very post-pandemic uh, experience. How people, having been through that um, period of time, are now re having a relationship with their work. Now, I did say we'd mention China, and TikTok posts about quiet quitting might have been inspired by a social media um, phenomenon called Tang Ping, or Lying Flat. Uh, it's a now censored hashtag, uh, apparently prompted by China's shrinking workforce and long hours culture. So a little context on that. The term Tang Ping, or Lying Flat, and it has spawned numerous memes across social media, um, particularly Chinese social media like Weibo. Uh, young people in China had been exhausted by a culture of hard work for little reward and began highlighting a need for uh, lifestyle change by, you know, inverted commas, lying flat, known as Tang Ping. Uh, now, China has a, a shrinking labour market and young people often work more hours because of this. The lying flat uh, movement um, was said to be a, a wise movement by some users on the social media since deleted posts. As I say, some of this is now blocked on Chinese social media. Only by lying down can humans become the measure of all things. So the idea behind this Tang Ping movement in China um, was about not overworking, about being content with more attainable and achievement, uh, achievable goals and allowing time to unwind. And it's been praised by a lot of people, a lot of memes from it, and described as a kind of spiritual movement. Now back to the article that we were talking about, and Kordovich added that the search for meaning has become far more apparent. And there is a sense of our own mortality during the pandemic and something quite existential about people around the world and what should work mean for me? And how can I do a role that's more aligned to my values?
Now that sets the scene for us. So somewhere in uh, you know the early pre post pandemic during the pandemic we get this chinese phenomenon of tangping of lying flat which translates into the uh, uk and us and english speaking phenomenon of quiet quitting but what is quiet quitting then as 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 they put it out there what's behind the headlines now we're, we're going to look to a bbc news article from 7 days ago uh, entitled quiet quitting the workplace trend taking over tiktok um and this says that despite its name, it has nothing to do with quitting your job at all. It means doing only what your job demands and nothing more. Quitting, doing anything extra. So you still show up for work, but strictly within the boundaries of your job requirements. No more helping out uh, with additional tasks, no more checking emails outside of work hours. And they go on to say that since the pandemic, an increasing number of young workers have grown tired of not getting recognition and compensation uh, for putting in the extra hours. They're saying no to burnout and instead focusing on work-life balance. Um, it's all centred around this kind of idea of self-preservation and acting your wage. Now, the, the term quiet quitting is originating or said to originate with an American TikToker called at Zed Leplin. Um, and they posted a video and it went viral. And that video said, work is not your life. And that seems to be for us, in the at least in the English-speaking world, the, the real thing that generated this phrase. Now, as teachers then, and we think about this going above and beyond culture, and we think about this acting your wage, I think it's really important for us to relate about the specifics of our role and, and the culture as well. And when we come to looking at top tips in the end, and if you have top tips for achieving work-life balance, message them in. Or if you have a comment to add, of course, we are live and you can tweet that in as well. Are you quiet quitting this year? Have, you know, Have you tried it before? Is it something that you feel wouldn't work for you as a teacher and later on we do get onto some of the negatives of quiet quitting what it could mean if taken the wrong way um, but a couple of examples then first of all just broader from other industries about what they are calling quiet quitting and what they are saying it's done now one of the examples here is um, a, a Georgia Gatsby mark uh, who's 24 from Devon, worked in marketing and retail um, and was doing overtime for no reward. And after starting an admin support work um, role, she began to take more responsibility working nearly 60 hours a week. Now, working 60 hours a week, I realise for any of our teacher listeners, might not seem that much. You know, some of us, and certainly I, I, I recognise early in my career, a 60-hour week was probably normal. You know, and a lot of teachers will reflect on that. So let's take that into account, first of all. Um, anyway, she approached her managers about being compensated for the extra responsibility. Again, something that's not necessarily applicable to teachers. You know, when we go above and beyond, are we adequately compensated or do the pay scales of teaching, um, do they hinder us in some way from getting those rewards you know maybe you have opinions on how pay scales work in teaching that we are currently in in most places in a kind of weird performance related pay progression system where you'll kind of go up 
in the old one of teaching, certainly when I uh, was earning teaching, unless you go for a promotion, unless you get a TLR, um, your, your pay is fairly steady and fairly stagnant. Um, anyway, back to uh, Georgia. Um, she says, I was promised a pay rise, never materialised into anything. I felt humiliated. When I was working during COVID, it felt safer to quiet quit and then leave and look for another job. It was a turbulent time. Uh, Georgia began to turn down work that was outside of her job description and was met with criticism and often accused of slacking. But she didn't care. Um, she says, it felt like I was giving the power back to myself. And Georgia eventually left her job. That's our first case study from outside of teaching. We'll look at another one. This one's Emma O'Brien, 31, from London, and she quite quit from her job as a personal assistant within the retail sector after being turned down for a pay rise. Uh, she said, my workload has been increased and I was taking care of the whole team during COVID. She chased her boss for a couple of weeks about a pay rise and by the time that they had the conversation and he said no, that was the last straw, she said. Um, that was literally what I ended up doing. I was supposed to um, to do and get the job done, nothing more. I felt empowered and motivated because I had mentally checked out of that job a few weeks before. Emma quite quit her job for a year before recently deciding to move on. Now, I'm just going to leave those two examples hanging for a second because I think it's important that we talk about when we're looking for sustainability. Um, and from a number of the examples that I've read through in preparation for this uh, show, the quiet quitting seems to be part of a change to eventual quitting. And I, I'm not sure personally that that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to leave teaching. I, I'm just looking to find some balance. Um, and maybe that's uh, where we run into problems with this, this new movement of quiet quitting. You know, is it treading water? Is it something that you do? Both of these examples that we've heard so far were um, people who were unhappy in their job, seeking a pay rise or seeking promotion, were declined it. There had been some kind of uh, moment where they had decided and they could have quit, but they didn't quit. They stayed on it and they quiet quit. And that in some way felt empowering before they eventually then completely quit. Now, that for me is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to achieve work-life balance through setting boundaries for myself as a teacher. I'm not looking to eventually leave teaching completely. I love teaching. Maybe that's you. Maybe you do feel that you're on your way out. Maybe you're, you know, close to retirement and you feel actually I, I don't have it to put in anymore. Or maybe you're thinking that at some point I am going to want to change and, and this will free up some some capacity for me to, to, to look forward to that. The article does go on to ask, is quiet quitting actually a good thing? Um, and there were examples of people who were saying that not everyone is on board with the quiet quitting phenomenon. Um, they give an example of a workplace decorum expert, um, Patty Ache, um, who expressed her disagreement with it in a TikTok video, um, saying that you'll never succeed in work with this mindset. She says, quiet quitting is doing the bare minimum required of you at work and being content with mediocrity. Advancement and pay increases will go to those 
whose level of effort warrants advancement and doing the bare minimum certainly does not. Now this I can relate to. This is something I have heard as a teacher. Maybe you've heard it. You know, if this is something that rings true of you, you can text in, you can call in. I have always been told, and it, it, it's what I believed, that first you put in the effort and then you get the rewards. You act up. You know, and how many, we we literally have a phrase for it. You know, there are people who are acting up as head teachers, acting up as deputies, you know, acting up as um, assistant heads or, or heads of year. And they are taking on a role with the view that afterwards they will see a permanent promotion or afterwards they will see a pay rise. I can think of hundreds of responsibilities or working groups that I joined as a teacher to um, that would look good on my CV or that would uh, put me in a good position when I went for promotion. And when I talk about culture, when we need to look at this, the culture of your school and how it goes might dictate how you behave. You know, both of these examples uh, have had people being negative about it. There weren't people sort of cheering in their offices saying, oh, well done you, congratulations. It was seen as uh, a potentially negative thing, a, a potentially undermining thing for them. And certainly this example suggesting that, you know, it's content with mediocrity or, you know, doing things that warrant advancement rather than doing your job. You know, it's a troubling one for me. It's a troubling one for me. I'd be interesting to hear if you are listening in, you know, what did you do before promotion for promotion that you weren't paid for? You were doing it specifically to get, you know, a um, an extra role. Were you one of these people? I mean, it was an absolute classic when I trained at job interviews for class teachers to be asked, would you be willing to run an after school club in brackets for free? You know, we have to ask ourselves that is, you know, would you be willing to do something that you're not being paid for? I wonder if at um, Sports Direct, if I took a job there or at Costa Coffee or um, in Sainsbury's, you know, and other examples are available, I should say, you know, very BBC of me, um, that would they say to me, hey, would you be willing to stay an hour after work without pay? You know, is that an appropriate question? And, and in teaching, still some places it is now we're going to flip on because a, a really interesting article about what it looks like for a teacher um, this was written by kim baker for uh, medium.com now as i say a lot of these articles are very recent are um you know this is a new phenomenon as people are talking about it or certainly i mean you know, we can reflect on that because I remember people working to rule as part of union action, you know, very long time ago. I mean, that must have existed, I guess, since unions have existed working to rule and um, coasting and people, you know, uh, working to the clock or working for the weekend. Maybe quiet quitting as a word is new. Maybe the, the, the phrase itself isn't. Maybe the, the, the behaviour itself isn't, I should say, sorry. Anyway, this is about what it looked like for a teacher in America. She says, 
is my day off. So instead of leading my class full of budding minds and creative activities, I'm sitting at my large crafting table, a table that I almost never use for crafting these days, at home, surrounded by neat stacks of paper, organized into class piles. Um, oh, let's just have a little look there. Um, and Rose, I'm just gonna see if we can connect you. I can see that you added a call there. So we'll see if we can connect you. Um, oh, and has disappeared. Don't worry, Rose. If you uh, want to try and connect again, we'll see if we can. Um, so um, I've spent most of my working life as a teacher, and I know very well how it can take up almost all of your working hours if you don't set limits. In fact, it can make you extend your waking hours and eat into your sleeping time. I feel that. I recognize that as an NQ when I was an NQT, when I was a trainee. Yeah, I was not getting enough sleep. Um, she goes on to say, the problem is I love my students. My job's creative and dynamic. I want to be a great teacher. How could quiet quitting possibly be an option for me? And I have heard this when people have talked about it in educational settings. You know, I love my students. Uh, it would be letting the children down. All of these kind of emotive phrases. They are things we say in education. Um, and they would be things that would put someone off the idea of quiet quitting. I'm trying to be balanced. You know, I'm trying to be balanced. Um, doing the bare minimum at my job seems like it would be cheating my students. Ouch. Uh, but there are ways to do less and still do a great job. Now, this is the part that interests me. Stop doing everything for your students and start asking them to do things for yourself. It's a good piece of advice she's, you know, she's got there. Um, I used to spend lots of time creating games, quizzes, and activities and all kinds of classroom activities for my student until I figured out that if I asked them to do it, uh, they would be more engaged in class and they would be more learning. Well, I do think, you know, some of those tips around workload for teachers and what we do, I think has changed in the UK. You know, maybe not in America. I don't know. We certainly, uh, I am not laminating or making as many loop cards as I once was when I was a teacher, you know, or making classroom resources in those way. Um, she would say, um, also, instead of creating a quiz, have them create quizzes for each other. Yep, that's a great example. But there's only so far this can go. And I do wonder how much of our teaching workload is, you know, creating these examples. We, I, think, I feel most people I talk to now have trimmed that down to the bone. She goes on to say, instead of planning lessons every day, I use learning menus and plan once every couple of weeks. Well, I do quite like that, you know, I think. But again, I think most of us have moved to booklets already or shared planning on, you know, on our, on our, on our shared drives or on our Teams or on our Google Teams. Um, so I'm not sure how much we can save from that either, as far as teacher workload goes. Um, she says refuse to work on the weekends since they're not paying me for it on the weekend days they do not have a right to them my family did now this bit i think maybe teachers need to have a conversation about our terms and conditions have incredibly vague clauses in them about you know taking we obviously have 195 hours uh, 195 days should i say wow um that we have to do and then we also have to do any additional work that you know uh, the, the, those strange phrases about that the head teacher uh, requires of us and it's very hard to put that into context and what that looks like and exactly what it means and when 
I am hesitant about banning work on weekends. Uh, you know, I'm very hesitant. We've had some great shows about when to email people on TT Radio and how that works um, because people's work uh, lives, well, people's lives, I should say, are different. When I have to uh, put the children to bed, when I have to do things at the weekend is very different to someone, well, even myself, when I was either single or when I was in a, a young couple together before making a family, all of those things are different and will be different for everyone. So I think this kind of very rigid advice is, uh, you know, a really good question for us. One of the other things that she says is do not be available in summer. That's a great question. Okay. I would say we are as a, as a profession, pretty good at it. I would say as a profession, we're pretty good at it. I now, thanks to a, a head teacher I used to work with, call it annual leave. And I refer to it as annual leave to people. Yeah, I'm on annual leave. And I find that people outside of teaching respect that more in some way. It means something different to me. Uh, people within education as well kind of see that slightly differently. If you start ret referring to your time off as annual leave. So uh, this is a teacher who has done it. She concludes, yes, quiet quitting is an option even for us. Our students deserve the best, but so do we, as with any healthy relationship set boundaries and stick to them your boss might not like it but you have the right to a full life outside of work and your days off are not an opportunity to catch up on grading now that's where we set a teacher has done it at least a teacher in america has done it now we're going to go to some ads and when we come back we're going to look a little more at some uk examples of uh, quiet quitting and then we're going to get into those tips so if you are listening in and you want to share a piece of advice on maybe by the end of this we'll have come up with a better word than quiet quitting I'm still on the fence about it maybe at the end uh, how to do the bare minimum at work again maybe not that is not a phrase for me what quiet quitting looks like for a teacher possibly but for me it's how to avoid burnout and achieving work-life balance through setting boundaries we'll see you on the other side of these ads this episode of teachers talk radio has been made possible with support from witherslack group the uk's leading provider of sen education and care they're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you Live from Swansea, this 
is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. We had everyone welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show. Meet Nathan Ginn here on Teachers Talk Radio. We are talking about quiet quitting while doing the bare minimum at work has gone global. What quiet quitting looks like for a teacher and help to avoid burnout and achieving work-life balance through setting boundaries. Now, at the very start of the show, we talked about where this phrase had come from, why it's popped into uh, the, the the public's imagination post-pandemic. Um, and uh, we talked a little bit about that Chinese phrase of uh, Tang Ping, of lying flat or lying still, and how it has kind of translated through social media in the UK and America into this phrase, quiet quitting. Very popular, apparently, with the uh, millennial generation. Uh, I think we call them now the younger people, not myself. But it's worth looking at because is there something we can all learn? Now, we had an example of a teacher from America who had uh, some advice or had tried quiet quitting. And my, my, I don't want to say criticism of them, my, my, my only question around this idea of quiet quitting of is are we talking about things that teachers in the UK potentially have already done like shared planning like reducing marking like lesson planning being uh, more efficient like lesson resourcing being more efficient all of these things I feel or at least in places I've worked maybe you'll you'll be able to say different maybe you are still under a lot of pressure to produce resources and, and feel free text us in we are live or tweet us at tt uh, at tt radio 2022 um but i think we have done a lot of those things now one of the examples when we were first talking i talked about being in an interview and being asked if i would do an after school club and this was a very common question, you know, probably you've been asked it yourself in interviews where they would, you know, get halfway through and they would say something like, uh, you know, would you be interested in running an after school club? And everyone said yes, because you're in an interview and you want to look good and you want to go above and beyond uh, and you want the job effectively. And I questioned whether if I was working in a supermarket, a coffee chain, a, a restaurant if it would be appropriate for someone to say to us um would you be willing to work an hour unpaid which to some extent some of these things in education we are being asked and so we go to a kelly truevelen um article in weareteachers.com which is titled teachers aren't quite quitting they're saying no to unpaid labor she says, uh, people who quiet quit still perform their job duties. They're simply rejecting the hustle co culture, doing tasks that fall outside of their job description or pay, and the notion of tying their work performance or achievements to their self-worth. But something has been bothering me about the messaging around quiet quitting. As I read and thought about this trend, I couldn't help feeling like I was ignoring something big 
It felt like I was admiring my lovely new rain parker while a hurricane clouds loomed in the distance. Quiet quitting is helping teachers keep take care of themselves, reprioritize their values and delay burnout. And I'm all for that. I was especially intrigued by Business Insider's article on Maggie Perkins, who quiet quit years ago and has never looked back. I applaud how she scaled back what she was spending on teaching, both financially and emotionally. We all love boundaries. But aren't we ignoring something larger and more threatening here? What about the glaring problem in education relies on unpaid labour, kindness and the guilt teachers have to do what's best for the kids. What will happen if teachers rightfully scale back their work, but the powers who created and perpetuate the system have never made to reckon on their problematic arrangement, making underpaid, undersupported teachers carry the country on their back? Now, this is bold, but this is what I was talking about earlier. If we're scaling back, and if we fight this narrative of guilting teachers in, we need to do what's best for the kids. Oh, by not, but what about the kids? If there's not an after school club, what about the kids? Oh, but you know, if you haven't prepared all of those extra resources, what about the kids? And you know, we're asking here, what about the teachers? What about ourselves if we do this? And more importantly, what about the system? Because it has been long, uh, really, for me that I've recognized or felt that. Uh, if we lose the goodwill of teachers, and I'm not saying we have, you know, you might disagree with me, maybe you've lost some of the goodwill for teaching. If we lose the goodwill of teaching, I don't think the educational system in the UK can survive. I don't think it will uh, be able to stand with the staffing and the finance structures we have if the goodwill of teachers going above and beyond isn't there. Would your school be able to run uh, as it does now if all of the teachers stopped, you know, stopped doing above and beyond, even if half of them did? Well, this is what the article goes on to look at. Um, she says, I worry that the market will recognise the trend of quiet quitting and adapt. I worry that Schools will simply extend teachers' contract hours without paying them more, or they'll find some loophole calling tutoring time or office time. She says, I worry that districts will start using contracts to quantify work that teachers previously did on their own time. They might require a certain number of bulletin board rotations per year for elementary teachers, or maybe secondary teachers will have to hit a parent contact quota. She says, I worry that communities will continue to glorify the teachers who regularly work beyond their contract hours, prioritise school above family and self-care and burn themselves into the ground for an institution that has a vested interest in them not demanding more. She says, maybe quiet quitting is not the end move for teachers, but a starting move to a much larger game plan. Perhaps quiet quitting is the final message before a nationwide teacher strike. Now that's really powerful uh, and, and a moving message, but for me that moves into when we start calling for a strike or start talking about quiet quitting as a movement uh, or a, a you know having a plan to it, that starts sounding like you know the working to rule union action, which I have 
never been involved in myself. I have heard of schools doing, and I, you know, I've talked to people involved in schools where they did work to rule. And I, you know, I've, I've heard of schools where, you know, they would be a staff meeting that was penciled in till four o'clock, and uh, at four o'clock on the dot, whether someone was mid-sentence or not, those teachers would get up and leave because it, they were there till four o'clock, and that's what they would do. Now. I'm not looking for that. Now, I did say at the start of the show, you know, I'm selfish about this show. It's about me and helping me find I want to, I don't want to quit. You know, in the examples we heard early on of quiet quitters, it always ended in them completely quitting. I don't want to leave teaching. I love teaching. I want to avoid burnout and achieve work-life balance through setting boundaries. So it is quiet quitting for me not in her example. So let's go and look at, you know, they talked about a Maggie Perting's Perkins interview. So I went and I found that and it was from Business Insider, Jacob Zinkula, August 23rd. And it was entitled How to Quiet Quit from a former teacher who did it for two years so she could enjoy a better life while still getting a paycheck. Maggie Perkins loved being a teacher. I want to be a teacher every day of my life for the rest of my life, the 30-year-old told Insider. It's what I enjoy most. But her passion didn't stop the burnout that came from working 60-hour weeks on a salary that stayed under uh, $50,000 for five years. In 2018, she decided she needed a change and began engaging in what has recently become known as quiet quitting. Perkins quit in 2020 and said she doesn't have any plans to return. She's pursuing a PhD in educational theory and practice and focusing on research on teacher attrition, specifically why teachers with significant qualifications and experience ultimately choose to leave the profession. Now it is sad for me to find out that this is another story where quiet quitting led to full quitting and it is not what I'm looking for but maybe there are nuggets that I can pull out. In 2018, uh, Perkins began leaving school after working her exact number of contracted hours to pick up her daughter from daycare. This laid the groundwork for some work-life balance, but between grading, lesson planning and meetings, she said she found it almost impossible to get all of her work done during the school day. Now that definitely is something that I think most teachers, UK or US, can relate to. She says, I think this actually made me a better teacher because I became a lot more efficient and I had to prioritise what's worth it. She said, I had to be really judicious with my effort. When we come on to the tips later, and as I say, by all means, text in your tips for work-life balance and setting boundaries, and we'll read them out live on air. She says, quiet quitting doesn't have to mean you're no longer engaged in your job. Perkin prefers the term quiet working. However, because many teachers genuinely engage in their jobs and don't want to quit. I like that, quiet working. I might start using that instead. She says, you don't even have to just give up, but scale back on your commitment or your presence or your hustle, she said, and you're still getting the job done. You're not shorting your company or their productivity. You're doing what you're expected to do. Uh... Perkins has seen some critics argue that quiet quitting teachers are 
doing their students a disservice. But in her estimation, the expectations on teachers should all that teachers should always go above and beyond is the real problem, and that just doing your job should be enough. Now, this criticism and how it's labelled at teachers, and I wonder, you know, when we come on to talking about culture, and if you are a leader listening in, I, I would challenge this about the culture of your school. Do you have a culture where going above and beyond is the expected? Okay. Where working additional hours is the expected. I think in the country, in the UK specifically, we do have that expectation that teachers are teachers. And this is something I reflect on a lot with how our self-worth is tied in to our job satisfaction and how well we do it. It's one of the reasons I dislike graded lesson observations. You are a teacher. You're not doing the job of a teacher. You are a teacher. And that is maybe a problem we have to address with our own kind of inner demons, but you are a teacher. And so by being less of a teacher in some way, it can be hard to, to justify that. Are you being less of yourself? And then on top of that, always, you know, the guilt of what's best for the kids and their education and their chance. Now, I would agree with our previous kind of uh, comments, our previous article about the fact that actually education needs to be funded better to be able to do this. The issue isn't that we shouldn't we should be going above and beyond. The issue is that there should be enough of us in the school to be able to meet those needs. Now, from a UK perspective, uh, I'm going to pull from an article by uh, Poppy Gibson. It's called "Why uh, Quiet Quitting Really uh, What Quiet Quitting Really Means and How It Can Help Avoid Burnout." Now, it's really interesting that a lot of what we're hearing is from uh, America, is from businesses potentially businesses uh, without the emotive level of uh, education. You know, I'd be interested to uh, hear about examples, perhaps in nursing, uh, in midwifery, about quiet quitting and how those would be perceived. But we're going to take this. This is UK educators uh, from September of this year talking about uh, quiet quitting to avoid burnout. Now, the bits of advice they give, and we'll reflect on these as they go through, uh, to maintain a healthy work-life balance. And they suggest, uh, do not check work emails after a set time, such as 6 p.m. Now, as I say, I have had uh, questions around uh, emails and we've done some great shows. Uh, you know, if you type uh, emails into our search engine on uh, ttradio.org slash listen back, you'll be able to find some great about setting boundaries on emails and whether that works, whether it doesn't, whether it can hinder people's ability to work when they want to. They also say removing the app for work emails from your mobile phone and aiming to keep them strictly on a laptop or a desktop PC, reducing accessibility. I do agree with that one. I think that's a great idea. I don't live up to it myself. Unfortunately, I like to work fluidly, but I do think that's a great piece of advice if that works for you. Um, they say turning off notifications for incoming emails uh, to ensuring you add out-of-office replies when you're taking a break at, on annual leave, I should say, as I say, um, are also useful in managing your switch off. They say reduce the number of meetings. Could one longer meeting every fortnight be more effective than a meeting every week? They also say keep meetings online rather than face-to-face -face where possible. I do like, you know, if COVID has given us anything... 
I love, I do love the ability to have online meetings. I don't have to travel somewhere. I don't have to find someone in the school building. I don't have to wait for other people to find us in the school building. I think, you know, it is an underused thing in teaching that we expect. And you can record them for people who miss them, of course, you know, to watch at a time that best suits them. Online meetings is a great tip. You know, whether that's quiet quitting or whether that's working efficiently, whether that's avoiding burnout, I don't know. And how these cross over, you know, maybe you see a difference. And it says avoid weekend work when necessary. Now, what's interesting about their article, which some of the others touch on in a rather emotive way about how other people perceive or look down on you or are negative about your quiet quitting. Uh, they go into uh, talking about the negatives of quiet quitting in this piece. Um, they say it all sounds plausible, perhaps even sensible, given the removal of European working hours directive, but it might go horribly wrong. Teachers, and I'm sure many other professions, are in a situation where it's actually impossible to complete all of the basics of the job, plan, teach, mark, report, within the number of contracted hours, unless you accept that directed time and contracted hours are not equal. Another metaphorical soft filter is the phrase, and any other reasonable duties as directed by the head teacher. I would hope a few professionals are requested to do unreasonable duties, but the lack of sharpness in this phrase introduces makes it tricky to clearly define the key aspects of work beyond what one would do to quietly quit. Now, this is where, for teachers, I think it becomes its hardest. What exactly are you supposed to work? Now, in my examples of working at Sports Direct or working in Starbucks or working in a supermarket, you know when you clock in, you know when you clock out, you know when your breaks are, and you know when you're on the shop floor. In teaching, do we need to clearly define that? Has anyone ever had a conversation with their uh, line manager, deputy head, head teacher, to say exactly how much time are you expecting me to spend in school? Exactly how much time are you expecting me to spend on my computer at home? How long should lesson planning take? And what happens if I don't complete it in that time? Because it's very well for us to say as teachers that, you know, we can uh, put boundaries in, we can say that we'll leave at four o'clock, we can say that we won't do any work at the weekends. But the question becomes, when does that work get done? Or who does that work? Now, um, we do have a little bit of advice from Maddie Savage uh, in an article about why it's hard to put boundaries on work, uh, boundaries on our time. She says, according to psychotherapists, including Olivia Rose, spokesperson for the UK Council of Psychotherapy. Many people have been struggling with defining boundaries between home and work, especially as the pandemic has raised on. After years of being already very attached to our phone, she believes that lockdowns, office closures and more limited social lives have added fuel to the norm that we're always available. It's been building, and I think the pandemic has brought something to a head, she says. Now, is 
quiet quitting a response to the pandemic? Is quiet quitting a response to modern technology, to modern working? Is it for us in the UK a response, like in China, to not being fulfilled in our work, or at least how it's perceived there, as not being rewarded by our work? She also quotes uh, Maya Middlemiss, who's written books about remote working, who says it's important to take a step back to acknowledge just how much technology has normalised the lack of boundaries in our lives. Maya says, it's only in the last four or five years that there's been this technological convergence where every messaging application is available to every device. This, she argues, has obviously created more freedom and flexibility around where and when we work, but also it's really blurred the boundaries for knowledge workers in every location. Work is never done. So it's really difficult to often know when you've finished for the day and when you've done enough. That sings to me of teaching. When I think back about planning lessons, when I think back about creating resources, and the best advice I ever had on that, incidentally, was um, good enough is good enough. You know, when looking at your flip chart or your PowerPoint or however you're planning your lesson, if it's good enough, it's good enough. It will never be perfect. Now, she also talks about what we've talked about already, the challenge of corporate norms. Olivia Rose of the UK Council of Psychotherapy says that some of us simply feel more guilty than others about logging off and embracing our free time. That can make it harder to ignore the notifications and postpone tasks, even if we know they're not urgent. And she says, like I did when I spent Saturday morning messaging a colleague. How your self-worth is tied up in your role and I will say this to you as a ex-head teach, ex-deputy head teacher who felt very passionately about the school that they were responsible for and being a deputy and how proud I was to do it and that I felt that I should always be available and always be, you know, fixing it and that every message had to have a response immediately and how that was tied into me feeling good about myself and how that was tied into me feeling good about how the school was doing and all of the additional work that that meant. And whether that is what teachers should be doing. If you have had a good lesson for a day, do you feel good about that? And if you do feel good about that, why do you feel good about that? You know, what is it that we are getting from teaching that makes it so consuming? What is it about being a leader? What is it about being in education? What I guess, what is it about any job that makes it difficult for us to set boundaries? What makes it difficult for us to achieve that work-life balance? And if you do not believe me that teachers possibly have an issue with this, I would question how many teachers have been, particularly primary school teachers, I should say, have been on a day trip that is in some way linked to a topic they are teaching this year. How many teachers have been to uh, the middle aisle of an unnamed supermarket and seen something that they want to pick up for their classroom? Those are work things we're doing in our free time. And that is where we need to look at some tips and some advice. Now, 
We're going to go to the news. We're going to go to the ads. When I come back, remember, you can message them in. You can ask questions. You can even call in. This is TT Radio and we're live. Uh, but for the next seven to eight minutes, it'll be me having a sip of coffee and you guys listening to the news and the ads. Off we go. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. If you have a passion for education and a talent for teaching and learning, the Witherslack Group want to hear from you. Join them as they open an incredible new school in Essex and be a founding teacher of English, Maths, Science or Primary with multiple leadership opportunities available too. As Teachers Talk Radio partners, we know how much they care about the well-being of staff and their offer to you will be superb. To find out more and apply for a role, visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Daily Mirror runs a story on school places with headlines claiming that in some areas where schools are oversubscribed, nearly nine out of ten parents do not get a place for their child at their first choice secondary school. The article names specific schools in Wolverhampton and Lambeth as the hardest secondary schools to get into, with the primary from Liverpool named as the most difficult to get into. As children return to school for the new academic year, applications for those set to start primary or secondary in September 2023 are set to open soon. The deadline for secondary places is October 31st and January the 15th next year for primary. According to figures published in the article, 83% of applicants got their first choice of secondary school for September 2022, a small increase on the 2021 figure of 81%. The proportion of primary school applicants who received their first choice remained at 92%. A full list of England's most oversubscribed schools is published on the Daily Mirror website. In Scotland, council workers due to go out on strike next week have suspended their action after unions received a new pay offer from local authority leaders. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. 
The high-profile waste worker strike has seen rubbish build up in city centres, but action was also set to affect schools and early years provision as members of Unison were set to walk out. Aberdeen Live also reports on possible strike action by Scottish teachers after what unions describe as an insulting pay offer. The 5% pay increase was rejected by the Educational Institute of Scotland's Executive Committee and they have opened a ballot for members concerning industrial action. Members of the union have until the 16th of September to vote on the action. Following the return to school for the new academic year, Eastern Eye reports on advice to schools around school attendance. The advice recommends close partnership work with councils, targeted family support and home visits to address barriers to attendance. These form part of a package of new approaches to ensure that more children are in school every day. The Department for Education is also launching a three-year one-to-one attendance monitoring pilot aimed at tackling the factors behind non-attendance such as bullying and mental health issues. The scheme will be launched in Middlesbrough this year before expanding to other areas next year. A new attendance data visualisation tool is also expected later in September. In some countries on the continent of Africa, a significant barrier to school attendance comes as a result of pregnancy in adolescent girls, according to Human Rights Watch. The organisation says that whilst many countries now have laws and policies in place to protect girls' education, there are still shortcomings, with at least 10 African Union member countries still having no laws related to protecting the retention of students who are pregnant or are adolescent mothers. More on this story can be found on the Human Rights Watch website. In Wales, mandatory sex education lessons will go ahead in the new school term as the High Court rules in favour of the plan. A group of five parents lost their legal challenge to block the lessons in a hearing on the 31st of August. The group wanted to withdraw their children from the mandatory lessons or stop the rollout of relationships and sexual education altogether. The parents had already been granted a judicial review to be heard in November. RSE is part of the statutory new curriculum in Wales, although half of secondary schools are delaying the new curriculum until 2023. This is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've completed my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The topic today is why is my upload speed lower than my download speed? In previous episodes, we've discussed bandwidth and the more devices, the more demand, but internet service providers only tend to advertise their download speed. Why is this? Well, because it's higher. Let's take a trip back to the beginning of the internet for general public use. If you're old enough to remember dial-up and what we used to use the internet for pre-2006 when we were introduced to the Facebook boom, the internet was more like a library. You go, search for a book or a web page, use the book for your research, then return it. Traffic or knowledge is mostly one way, downloading to you. The only real use for uploading for the day-to-day user of the internet was to request a web page, a very small amount of data, and to send the odd email. Most things we did were all based on downloading. This is called an asymmetric connection. Downloading is given more bandwidth as it's the most used. This to date is still the fact. Most people download more than they upload. With data transmission being restricted by the size of transmission media being used, it makes sense for there to be more bandwidth dedicated to downloading than to uploading. 
Uploading has become increasingly more important for people since the development of apps like Facebook. Although developed in 2004, in 2006, due to increasingly better phone technology and the trend of documenting your life and posting it for others to see, the speed that you can upload has become more important. However, if a video or image takes a while to upload, we can do something else. If what you're watching stops, it's the end of the world. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech for the new academic year. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And uh, I'm sad to announce that Queen Elizabeth II has died at the age of 96. Buckingham Palace uh, confirms that Her Majesty the Queen has died Thursday at the age of 96. A statement from Buckingham Palace said, The Queen has died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and return to London tomorrow. And a sad start there uh, to the second half of the show. But breaking news, um, we are live. And if you have any messages or comments about it, please do text them in, do message in. Uh, either stories or um, perhaps reflections on uh, this moment in time. Um, so... We've been talking about quiet quitting, why doing the bare minimum at work has gone global and what quiet quitting looks like for a teacher. Help to avoid burnout and achieving work-life balance through setting boundaries. Now, I did say at the start of the show, when we were talking through how this uh, craze, how this new social phenomenon that started as the Tangping movement on Chinese social media, such as Weibo, about lying flat, uh, and uh, you know, really taking time, that kind of spiritual movement had transformed through TikTok and uh, sort of American uh, takes on it to being uh, quiet quitting and even into uh, educators and into the UK and um, people quitting. Now, one of the things we reflected on was that, that a lot of the examples that we heard of quiet quitting of people, uh, you know, trying to find a balance eventually ended in those people complete quitting and I did say and I have said throughout the show that that's not what I'm looking to do and perhaps it's not what you're looking to do if you want to you know actually leave teaching I think that is a very different thing or potentially a different thing to wanting to be a teacher that doesn't burn out to wanting to be a teacher that also has a life you know I think we need to get past that so what I've done for the end of the show, and I'd love to hear your tips as well, as I've taken from a Forbes article uh, in February 2021 by John Emma O'Connor, 16 ways to achieve work-life balance by setting better boundaries. And I've really whittled it down and refined to what I think for teaching 
are the six that really resonated with me. So the first one, and I have put these in some kind of order, you know, some kind of chronology to help me remember them. The first is see what is not adding value. Now, I would challenge teachers to look at what they're doing, how they're spending their time of the day, the tasks that they are even asked to do by line managers, and, you know, really interrogate that about what is adding value to your learners, what is adding value to the school. You have to really be in control of this area and, and, and hold yourself accountable. And I think line managers and schools should be holding themselves accountable to what is adding value because otherwise it can be an endless job particularly you know and I reflect on this as a ex-primary school teacher when you have classroom displays when you have uh, areas for free play or exploration when you have outdoor areas you really can spend all the time in the world improving those things and you can spend all of your time at the weekend shopping for exactly the right pencil pots and the desk tidies so is it adding value and that is I think the first place that we should all start when looking at whether we call it quiet quitting whether we call it setting boundaries is staying that extra half hour after school adding any value is opening your laptop in an evening to go through that lesson plan one last time tweaking the seating plan again and again or adjusting that PowerPoint so it's exactly the right shade of blue to match your eyes. You know, is that adding value? So that's our number one. See what is not is see what is not adding value and stop it. Now, number two is focus on free priority activities a day. Now, this is something that really helps me. You know, your priorities change every day, at least mine do. Uh, some days, you know, it's all work and some days it might be something that I've got personal going on and other days it's a mix of both. But focusing on the essentials to start the day with just free activities and then if you complete them, your days are success. Now, when I talk about that, I'm talking about not free activities on my to-do list at work and 20 on my to-do list at home. I'm talking about free activities for my whole day. Now, it doesn't mean that's all I'll achieve. I'm sure there will be other things that I get done in the time, but there are free priorities. And if I achieve them, I have been successful. And this is an antidote to me for that never-ending teacher to-do list that we have. And if you're like me, a never-ending personal to-do list that we have as well. And, you know, if you can focus on free, and free is achievable, then, you know, your day has been a success and, and as I say the benefit of that and you know other things you will get them done or you'll put them off to the next day so our tips so far see what's not adding value focus on free priority activities a day number three communicate clearly and assertively now as we've heard throughout the whole of this there have been people having conversations with their colleagues people having conversations with their bosses about what they are doing and why they are doing it. Now, I think just doing it for me, you know, just stopping what you're doing and reducing it down without being clear risks 
and it, it, it risks for yourself and your, your teammates and your colleagues, it risks there being some kind of negativity. If you are clear about it, if you have a meeting and you sit down and you are, you know, you know how to say no, you, you set clear boundaries and you explain them and you're clear and assertive, then that's really important to everyone understanding. Now, if I sit down with a line manager then, and th this goes for when they are setting tasks as well, do you feel confident? Would you be able, when someone says to you, you know, this needs to be done, would you feel confident and able to say to them, I don't have time for that? As a teacher, that will require cover. You know, not in a rude way, not in a uh, negative way to say it's not achievable, but in an explanation way to say to them what you are asking of me is not achievable in the time that I've got I will achieve it but what I require from you is the time to achieve it now I realize that this is incredibly hard for new teachers and maybe you know what I'm talking about and maybe why this happens later in our careers or we find the boundaries later in our careers is because we understand how long something takes I remember as an NQT perhaps you do too that you know you'd sit down to plan a lesson and something that you thought you might get done in half an hour takes you two hours and you know if I was to ask any of you even an experienced teacher you know how long does it take you to put up a display an hour two hours half a day a whole day you know when you go in over half term or Easter or you know pop in in the summer holidays to set up your classroom how long does a seating plan take? Now, as you find more experience, as you have more time, those things, you know, come to you and you have some kind of way of doing it. But if not, you're, you know, if you are a line manager and you are asking those things of people, I think it's really important that, you know, we start talking about workload impact assessments. Every new thing that a line manager gives you, they should be considering. How much added work am I giving to this person? And what am I taking away that means this doesn't tip over the balance. Because if you are getting additional work and nothing is being taken away, you know, that is the route to us burnout, to us not having work-life balance because boundaries are not being set. Now, as I say, communicating them clearly and assertively for me is the way to do this. I would disagree with people who without notice, without warning, without explaining it to people, just slowly, you know, stop doing the extra. I think in reality, you know, if this is to be sustainable and if you are to continue, you know, I want to work where I work. I want to continue being a teacher. And so I don't want to burn bridges. And so I don't want to leave them hanging. You know, if I don't do the work, someone else will have to pick it up. So I need to communicate clearly, but assertively, where my boundary lines are. So we've had, see what's not adding value, focus on free priorities today and communicate clearly and assertively what you will achieve and what you cannot. Know how to say no. Now, number four, define your personal values and what you're willing to give up. You need to get clear on your values, okay? What is it that makes you feel happiest? Your boundaries are as much about what you want to adhere to as what they're about, you know, what you want to save. Start by answering the question about what you are willing to give up. 
because yes, I want a beautiful display up in my classroom. But also I want to pick my child up from school. It, you know, it, maybe that's why we start see, having these questions about work-life balance when we have other things in our life. I know I was terrible at it when I maybe didn't have as many things or maybe I didn't value. But now I ask myself a question, would I rather be walking my dog on a beach right now? Not in a negative way, in a way that that is something that I really treasure and enjoy and I want to have and I want to do every day. So not what do I need to do, but what am I willing to give up? And that, rather than being a teacher, is where I see myself being a whole person. You know, I suppose it does apply to teaching as well and the tasks. You know, if I'm going to spend all the time on this display and not on that planning, you know, there is opportunity cost in all of these things. Now, number five is about recharging with self-care. You need to be clear on what you need to stay healthy and operate at your optimum. You know, in other words, you, you know, your self-care. If you fall apart, you can't get anything done anyway. You know, what are the activities that recharge your batteries? Come up with a list, pick one, two, three. Block out time in your calendar to do these things that recharge your batteries guilt-free. And that's really important. You know, it bounces off the back of point four of defining your personal values and what you're willing to give up. Use that time then to recharge your batteries with things that you want to do. And I would say on this, it's incredibly important that it is not binge and reactive uh, self-care. I will call it self-care. I was thinking maybe I would call it something else there. But it is still self-care to do that, you know, to have a takeaway on the Friday night because you've had a terrible week. But it needs to go beyond that. That, for me, is not recharging my batteries. That's an emergency sticking plaster. It's not a, a healthy lifestyle. It's A&E. You know, you're doing it after the fact. Okay? So, uh, where were we? We are at five. So we've had, see what's not adding value, focus on free priority activities a day, communicate clearly and assertively, define your values on what you're willing to give up and recharge with self-care, planned self-care, not reactive self-care. Now, number six, and my final one, you know, from this conglomeration or edited version, is keep the commitments you make to yourself. We have said we need to recharge with self-care. Don't let guilt sabotage your efforts. Be steadfast in your commitments to yourself and establishing these guide rails. It's a normal part of life and they allow us to function at our best. If you have booked in time, penciled in time, that you need for self-care to, for in my example, walk your dog on the beach, that time needs to be protected because it is there for a purpose and you planned it there for a purpose. You know, cutting down on it or eating into it for whatever reason is not going to help yourself. It's part of that being assertive, but it is now being assertive with yourself. If we don't keep those things in place, if we say, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to 
do the thing that I enjoy. I'm not going to play that football match or, you know, go and see my friends or play my musical instrument or walk my dog on the beach. I'm going to catch up with some work. Then we enter the next week slightly degraded. You know, we start that week at 90%. And if we do the same again, we start the next week at 80%. And if we do the same again, we start the next week at 70% and we gradually spiral down. And that for me, at least in my experience, is how I burn out. Not through some monumental effort over a, a short period of time, but through a gradual not recharging, not keeping my commitments to myself, not defining and communicating clearly and assertively my boundaries. and not being true to what my personal values are or what I'm willing to give up. And that is where I see, for me, within teaching, quiet quitting sitting. I would define it as not a gradual slow decline to eventual quitting, not a you know soft giving up on wanting to do well at my job, you know, I would see it as working effectively with myself as a whole person rather than focusing purely on the work and burning out in other areas. So to recap for those, number one, see what's not adding value. Number two, focus on three priority activities a day. Number three, communicate those clearly and assertively. Number four, define your personal values and what you're willing to give up. Number five, recharge with self-care. And number six, keep commitments to yourself. If you have tips, tweet them to me, message them in the app. We are coming to the end of the show and it has been an amazing show. If you missed the start, we talked a little bit about where quiet quitting has come from as a social phenomenon. We looked a little into why and some psychological unpicking there of why now, why in the UK, why in China, why in America, um, what that means for us. Okay, We looked at other industries and why maybe it's not uh, quite as easy in education because of that fear of guilt, you know, because of blurred boundaries through our contractual obligations and the wording of them about how much work we should be doing in our own time. Between that tying up of what we do with our own self-worth self-worth but I see it not as quiet quitting but wanting to be the best teacher I possibly can if you think of a better term for it but you know tweet me uh, at, at TT Radio 2022 and let me know now a final piece and I wanted to throw this in before we finish because um, I really love this and this, I think, is where I'm going to try this year to be a little different. This is by Jessica Burrell. She was writing it for Yahoo, Yahoo Life um, in September 2022. The title of it was Forget Quiet Quitting. You really need to join the office roller coasters instead. Uh, the term is now associated with doing the bare minimum, working just enough to not get fired. Uh, which is a problem. In all likelihood, somebody diligent is just going to find themselves with triple the workload. We talked about this earlier. You know, who's going to pick up the slack if you're quiet quick, quitting? 
But there's definitely something between the binary states of all-consuming grind and the bare minimum. Something uniquely post-pandemic. We could call it roller coasting. When you dial up the effort and down as work and life fluctuate. It's a rare luxury, of course, but those who can find uh, demanding more flexibility from their employers and the ability to manage their own time bolstered by the experience of lockdown. In elusive quiet passages, the roller coasters are taking longer breaks, making time for exercise or hobbies and working from home where possible. When things get busy, they're willing to rise up to the challenges. They're still getting the work done, but not necessarily during the prescriptive hours of nine to five and not necessarily in the office. This encourages mutual trust with employers, confident that things will level out overall and workers reassured that their responsibility and freedom can coexist. I think I want to be a roller coaster. I'm happy when things are busy to pick up and get things done. The question I will ask of each and every one of you is when things get quiet, do you take that time back? In the busy weeks, we put in extra effort. And in the quiet weeks, we still put in extra effort. And I think for teachers, for me, we should try and be roller coasters. And that takes a little bit of uh, work from our leaders, from school leaders uh, and in society to say, do you know what? Actually, it is fine. You know, I haven't got a lot to do this week, so I'm leaving it free. And I'm going to enjoy myself and I'll do some hobbies at home and I will be refreshed and I will be ready when things kick off again to step in and step up so what i'll do is i'll leave you with her final words on the topic so in the spirit of the new academic year it's time to get back to work not to the slow slog of grind culture nor the disillusioned coasting of quiet quitting but something else something that ebbs and flows as you change and progress that's quiet at some points and busy at others, but always leaves room for life outside work. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We'll see you next time. Nostar. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.